So last week we concluded uh, chapter one of Ruth. And if you were here with us and you were following along, you know that we left with a cliffhanger of sorts. Uh, Naomi returned to Bethlehem after sojourning for 10 years in Moab during a time of famine. Her husband had died. Her sons had died. And she rightly felt that the Lord had dealt her a bitter hand. Despite Naomi's protests, her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabite, pledged to go back to Israel with Naomi as she returned. Ruth said, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. These two women women came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest as chapter 1 ended. The famine had ended. The harvest was beginning. And the reader is left to wonder what is going to happen to these two women. Will Naomi's bitter providence give way to any hope? Will Ruth be welcomed as a disliked foreigner in a foreign land? What's going to become of this family? So this morning, we get the privilege of considering chapter 2 of Ruth together. And again, I'm going to give you three headings for our message. A devoted daughter, a gracious redeemer, and a restoration of hope. So we have a, I, they actually have longer titles, and I opted to, to cut them down because I thought if anybody's trying to write these down, it's a devoted daughter, you know, and don't feel pressured to write it down, a devoted daughter, a gracious redeemer, and a restoration of hope. This chapter, chapter 2, serves to reshape the story a little bit and remind us that even the most worthy in the world's eyes need mercy. That the random events and decisions, quote-unquote, random events and decisions of daily life are guided by the hand of a sovereign God. That this God loves his children. Even when we don't feel it. And even when we don't see it. And that our God is a restorer of hope and joy for those whose trust is in him. So let's read Ruth chapter 2 together. Uh, if you're using the, the Bibles, but I should have said this earlier, if you're, if you're using one of the Bibles in front of you, it would be page 222 in those Bibles. And when we say, you know, various times throughout the, the service, we say, this is the word of the Lord after we read the Bible, that's not a throwaway phrase. We try not to have anything in our services that's throwaway, that's like filler. Or when we say this is the word of the Lord, we mean it. This is God's word, the inspired word of God, inerrant, infallible, breathed out by him. And therefore, we do well to pay attention to his word. Amen. Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's 
a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. And she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit's power, uh, work in our hearts today. We thank you for this beautiful account of compassion and sacrificial love. And I pray, Father, that my words would be faithful to your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. May the gospel of Jesus go forward clearly. We pray in his name. Amen. So verse 1 of chapter 2 introduces us to a new character in the story, right? Boaz. We're going to get back to Boaz. He's going to be pretty important in this story, as you saw in chapter 2. But, but as we pick up, it seems that Ruth immediately, immediately, as they get back to Bethlehem, says to Naomi, let me go out into the fields to glean. We're not doing, you know, we may not be familiar with gleaning in our day. Uh, there are plenty of people who are farmers who are still quite familiar with gleaning. But a, br- a brief description of this process, that the reapers would walk through the fields and they'd chop down stalks of grain and they'd be left behind and, and there'd be women who would follow them and gather them into bundles. And the hope of Ruth and others in her situation would be that some of the stalks would drop to the ground. And that those that were left behind, they also had hope. I thought this was so interesting. I just love God's providence. Uh, I was reading the notes for for the suffering class today. And and did you guys do the parable of the Good Samaritan in the suffering class today? And were you, am I about to reference Leviticus chapter 19, where it talks about leaving the corners of the fields for, for the foreigner and the widow, that there, the, the, the destitute would have hope that they were in the field of a good law-following Jew who would leave something for them to be able to gather. But to put it in, in its proper perspective, what they were hoping for, what they were hoping to come home with each day was just enough for dinner and maybe breakfast. One commentator I read put it, put it this way, like it, it would be like you and me going out and saying, I'm going to try and collect enough cans to be able to, to pay for a meal today. So there was no hope of like, these people are going to become rich. They're going to, get, they're, they're going to have so much food. They're, they were hoping for daily provisions. That's what was happening when they're walking through these fields. And Ruth willingly sets herself to this labor. Remember, we're talking about the devoted daughter right now. She willingly sets herself to this labor. And on top of the usual challenges, I mean, you can imagine, right? This is not a real exciting, not not a happy life. This is a tough existence. You look in this chapter, Ruth works hard all day into the night. And she's a foreigner. On top of all the usual challenges, how many times do you see in this passage that's mentioned that Ruth is a Moabite? Ruth is from Moab. It's not a coincidence that this keeps getting mentioned. It's because the reader is meant to think like, Samaritan. The worst kind of person I can think of is in our fields. A Moabite. She could have been the subject of mistreatment and or rejection because of her ethnic identity. She even mentions it herself to Boaz, right? Why would you take notice of me? I'm a foreigner. I'm a Moabite. 
Ruth is in a very vulnerable position, and yet she continues to labor for Naomi. She humbles herself, and she asks the young men in charge of the field if she could glean in their field. Then we're told she worked all day. Then when the day's work was over, she, she stayed and beat out the barley so that it was useful. She did all this to serve her mother-in-law, to show sacrificial, that hesed love we talked about last week, sacrificial love to Naomi. And word had gotten around about Ruth. Boaz mentions it in verse 11. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, presumably by others in town, right? And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. I was thinking about that this week. It's a real blessing when others speak well of you behind your back. Ruth's reputation preceded her. And her reputation wasn't that Moabite. It was this woman who sacrificed her own life for her mother-in-law. It is good, good, to speak good words to and of one another. That is a positive thing. We, we live in a society that loves to speak ill of others, especially when they're not listening, right? We love, we love juicy morsels. We love gossip and slander. What a blessing to see that behind Ruth's back, people were talking good about her. Why does it seem easier at times to speak and think ill of others? Why is that? Yet, it must be noted in this chapter that there is nowhere, not one example, and I can't even think in the whole account of Ruth, one example where Ruth thinks or speaks so highly of herself. She is a willing laborer, right? What did she go out into those fields expecting that day? Did she go out and say, like, don't you know who I am and don't you know what I've done? Don't you know what I've sacrificed? Nope. She took the servant's posture. She hoped to leave with a day's food. She begged to be allowed to do even that. And when confronted by Boaz, she says that she's a foreigner and not even one of his servants. Why are you being so kind to me, Boaz? I'm not even one of your servants. And when she reports to Naomi... What happened to her in the field that day? Did you notice she left out one detail? Did you notice that? What detail did she leave out? She left out Boaz's praise of her. She doesn't mention that. She doesn't say, yeah, he, he told me he wanted to do all these things for me because of what I've done. She still saw herself as unworthy recipient of mercy. That's who Ruth was. 
Ruth shows no regard for the exaltation of her own name. She is a humble servant. And this is a difficult heart posture, dare I say, impossible, apart from the Holy Spirit's work, apart from the grace of God. We, we desperately want to make sure that we are seen, that we are acknowledged. Maybe for some, we have no desire for public acknowledgement. It would be the most mortifying thing in your life if I were to publicly acknowledge you right now. But we have a heart that says, I did this. I sacrificed. Look at everything I sacrificed. Look at how hard I worked. Jesus said this to his disciples in Luke chapter 17, verses 7 to 10. I'll just read it to you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep to him, uh, say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Seems kind of harsh. But this is the exact posture we see from Ruth, right? She's not in this for Ruth exaltation. She is taking the low form, the form of a servant, and, and post, taking the posture of a servant and saying, I'm not looking for glory for me. I want to serve. I'm an unworthy servant. This is a posture that is very difficult for us to cultivate in ourselves. Somebody needs to praise me. I need, I need praise. Don't you see everything I've done? But with all that said, and rightly so of Ruth, I think that I want to say, I think I'll say this later in the sermon, but Boaz and Ruth and Naomi stand as examples for us. But I think they're meant to direct our eyes to something greater. With all that said of Ruth, there's a really, really, really important detail that we have not talked about. I hinted at it earlier. Look at Deuteronomy 24.19 real quick, if you have your Bibles with you. Flip over to Deuteronomy 24.19. This is God's command to his people Israel when they are about to take the promised land. Deuteronomy 24, 19 says, when you reap your harvest. Oh, I like that. I hear a lot of pages turning. I'll wait. That's good. It's a nice sound. Deuteronomy 24, 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. This is God's command to his people, Israel. And Ruth went out to the field that day at best, hoping for what the law commanded. That's her best hope. I'm, I'm going to get what's commanded in the law if I find the field of a, of a faithful Jew. But who knows? She could have come upon the field of a wicked man. She could have worked among wicked reapers. At best, 
at best, she could hope that she was going to come home with dinner tonight and breakfast tomorrow and then back to the fields because that's what a law-abiding Jew would, would provide for her. I'm going to get back to this in a few minutes, but I just want to say this right now. Praise the Lord that his blessings toward us are not limited to what the law says we deserve. If his blessings toward us were what we've earned under the law or merited under the law, well, we must die for our sins. Die for our lawlessness. Be sentenced to eternal separation from God. Praise the Lord that he does not render to his children what we have earned. And here Ruth rightly hopes only for what the law would provide. Enter Boaz. Because you know, as verse 3 tells us, you're back in, we're back in Ruth 2, by the way. As verse 3 tells us, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And what happened? She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Just so happened. As luck would have it, she ends up in Boaz's field. It wasn't luck, by the way. I'm, that's a... What a coincidence. This man, Boaz, is described in the first verse as a, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, a relative of his. Naomi later tells Ruth that this Boaz is a redeemer of their family, one of their family's redeemers. A, a redeemer was a family member uh, who was tasked with keeping alive the, either the estate or the lineage of a, a deceased family member. So maybe it would be a wealthy family member who would buy the property of their deceased family member to keep it in the family. Or marry the, the wife of a deceased person to carry on their, their lineage. In this case, the Redeemer was going to do both. The rede I don't want to give away the ending, but the Redeemer is going to do both. This is a challenging concept for us to understand in our culture, in our individualistic society, the idea. But, there, but I said this last week, there was great shame for Naomi that her family line was going to die. That that branch of the family tree died with her sons. Great shame. Many would have seen her as cursed by God. God must hate her. Boaz shows himself to be honorable right away in this account. He blesses, we see this typical greeting, but it is. There's a Lord bless you to his workers. A, May you be prosperous in your work. They return the, the blessing. And then immediately, right, he notices. Who's that? Somebody I don't recognize in my field. Whose young woman is that? They say, this is, this is the young woman. This is the Moabite who came back with Naomi. This is the young woman. That's what it says in the passage. The young woman. Like, you've heard about her. You know about her. This is her. And immediately, Boaz comes to her 
And, and he kind of like, if you read this, it's like, whoa, okay, buddy. Like he's coming out of the gate with some commands. Like don't go anywhere else. Don't go to another field. You stay here. You stay with my people. Immediately, he's protecting her. He's caring for her. The theme of this, this morning's service generally is, is the Lord our Redeemer, and next week's the Lord our Protector, and the week after that, well, two weeks after that, is the Lord who blesses his people. They're very interchangeable in these three chapters of Ruth. We see Boaz immediately protecting Ruth. He charges his men not to touch her. And what does that mean? It could mean some of the worst case scenarios that you might have in your minds, but more than likely it referred to them not taking advantage of her, maybe not stealing from her, maybe not treating her harshly as a foreigner. Naomi later says that she was so glad that, that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field so that in another field she wouldn't be assaulted, that she wouldn't be a target Whatever that may mean, Boaz offers protective care, and then he does even more. He tells her that when she's thirsty, she should go and drink what the young men have drawn. That's unusual. Beyond that, later in the account, Boaz invites Ruth to come and eat with him and the reapers. That is extremely, we can get lost in this, right? Like you, you have a, a lunchroom at your workplace and everybody just eats there, right? But like if you work for Amazon and Jeff Bezos is sitting in, in visit, visiting and says, come have lunch with me, that might be, am I getting the right company, right? He's, he's Amazon, right? Uh, th- I think, yeah, okay. Boaz's don't invite Ruth's to eat with them. Ruth's should be drawing the water. And Ruth's should be making the lunch. And Boaz is just pouring out blessing after blessing. He's saying, now you come eat with us. You come dip your bread in the same cup that we dip our our bread into. Oh, after that, after lunch, we got leftovers. Why don't you take them home? Oh, and after that, hey, reapers, I want to make sure, not only, not only, you let her take whatever she wants behind her, I want you to start pulling stuff out and dropping it on the ground so that she gets extra. And don't reproach her. Don't rebuke her. You let her take everything. And Ruth brings home Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry. As Ruth had shown sacrificial love to Naomi, now Boaz will show sacrificial love to both Ruth and Naomi. This is is his crop. This is his stuff. And he's giving it away for Ruth and Naomi. And she brings home an ephah. I mean, you've, you've, you've got some ephahs in your house, undoubtedly, of ephahs of barley. Five and a half gallons. So just for perspective's sake, Ruth is walking into the field that morning. Hopefully I get dinner and breakfast for me and mom for tonight and tomorrow morning. She walks out 
with two weeks supply of what she's going to be needing. The sovereign hand of God had directed her to the field of Boaz. Ruth came to Israel to serve Naomi and to take shelter under the wings of the God of Israel, Yahweh. Boaz blessed her in verse 12, saying, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here in chapter 2, Boaz is pronouncing the blessing, and Boaz is going to be God's means of answering that very blessing. Boaz said, The Lord repay you for what you have done. But listen. I want to make sure this is really clear, and I'm going to spend a few minutes here. When, when Boaz says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, it would have been the proper repayment for her just to go home with a day's worth of food. But Boaz pours out a mercy and love that Ruth could have never expected. She says in verse 10, why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner. And later in verse 13, she says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth is astounded, astounded by the mercy that has been shown to her, ultimately by God himself. Boaz is the living example of the mercy of God toward the unworthy and undeserving. Ruth could never imagine such extravagant and generous love, such powerful and merciful protection. Brothers and sisters, how much more true is this of us? Were we to say to the Lord, give me what I deserve under the law, who among us could stand? We whose love for the Lord is so weak, whose love for our neighbor often amounts to what's the least I can do and still call myself a Christian? What happens to us if God gives back to us according to the measure of love we use for him and others? The words of Boaz, the Lord repay you for what you've done. If we apply that to ourselves, if I say, God, I want you to give me back exactly as I've given it out. Bad news. Bad news. We fall woefully short. Every moment lived for self-glory and self-comfort and self-anything and not God's glory is worthy of eternal punishment. What do we do with this problem? When all we have to say is, give me what the law says I deserve, we have no hope. Just before the verses Jeff read in Galatians chapter 3, those beautiful verses, Paul says in Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
all things. And all things are summed up in, Jesus summed it up, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hinge all the law and the prophets. And if we were to stand before God and say, just give me what I deserve under the law. Give me my wages that I've earned. The wages of sin is death. But praise God, we have a merciful redeemer. Boaz shines as a human example of the truth of the lavish grace and mercy of God toward the undeserving. We who stood to inherit only destruction are invited to receive the mercy of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are invited to his table. We get to get invited to his table to eat a morsel and drink from a cup that reminds us that he laid down his life for lawbreakers. He laid down his life for the undeserving. He emptied himself and came here. He gave to us of his riches at just the right time. The Son of God, fully God and fully man, lived the perfect life of obedience that we do not. He truly was worthy of reward. All the reward. He then laid that perfect life down at the cross, making atonement for the sins of all who would believe in him. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He was raised in victory over sin and the grave, and he bestows mercy upon mercy on all who call on him. And the hopeless and the destitute spiritually, now have the hope of eternal life through his work. The believer is adopted into the family of God, a part of the bride of Christ, recipients of thousands of undeserved mercies. And just like he sent Ruth to that field on that day, have you ever considered how gracious he was to put you in a place where you heard that message? Was it because you were so great? Like, here's this person's so great. They get, they're so deserving. He was so gracious that he put you in a spot where you could hear of his lavish mercy and love and forgiveness and salvation. Do you know, brothers and sisters, how much mercy you've received? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. If he was going to mark 
how far short we've fallen, how unworthy we are, we could not stand. But in Christ, he has poured out lavish blessings and mercy. We are the recipients of the opposite of what we deserve. We are recipients of blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. We who were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, now in Christ Jesus, we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Foreigners and aliens no more, members of the family of God through his mercy. Protected from God's righteous wrath, blessed abundantly. We're not just on the negative side, we're saved from the wrath of God, but he then pours out blessing after blessing now and into all of eternity, right? And I want us to see that even worthy Ruth needed mercy. All of us need mercy. And so as we wrap up this morning, the recipient of such a great mercy heads home to tell Naomi about her day, which brings us to our last and shortest point, a restoration of hope. You can almost picture Naomi, right? She sends, she sends Ruth out for the day. She has no idea what field she's going to end up in. Will she be dealt kindly with? Will she come home with any food? Will people reject her because she's a foreigner? And then you see her, like Naomi, seeing her in the distance, right? She's coming back into the city from the fields. I think that's Ruth. Wow! She's got a big bucket of stuff. Here she comes, and, and Naomi immediately knows that somebody very kind had taken notice of Ruth. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. You can sense Naomi's spirits even beginning to lift in the account. Could it be, could it be that in the midst of this bitter providence, the Lord has not forgotten Naomi and her family? Could it be that he's still providing for her? Yes, Naomi, it's true. Yes, believer in Christ who is struggling to see the sunlight. It is true. The Lord has not left you. Maybe you feel that way today. Abandoned. Wondering if God does still hear or no. Believer in Christ, the answer is yes. He has not left you. He will not leave you. Ruth tells her the man's name. And once she hears that name, Naomi's spirits perk even further. Naomi is delighted. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi now sees the great kindness of the Lord once again in sending her daughter to Boaz's field. She sees the kindness of the Lord that he continued to bless the dead by attending to the family's living members. 
And Naomi is reminded maybe for the first time in a long time that God loves his people. It was always true. It was just difficult to see. Brothers and sisters in Christ, does God love you? What do you think? Does God love you? If you struggle to answer, seriously, I, I'm stepping aside here for a second. Give me, give me two minute break. If I ask you that question, does God love you? And you're like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Not sure. You need to do another diagnostic. Why, why are you saying that? Why are you saying that? And if the answer to that is, well, because of I this, I that, I... The, the Lord is familiar with our frame, okay? And I want to be careful here. Sin, sin is wicked. Sin is rebellion against God's will. But in Christ, he loves us with an eternal love. Those who are his children, the, the answer when I say, does God love you, is always yes. Yes, he does. He does love you. If your answer is, well, I don't deserve to be loved, he already knew that. And he loved you anyway. And he gave a son for you. Against all odds, in Christ, God loves us. We are his beloved children. He is always laboring for our good. Even when you can't feel it, is he laboring for your good? Even when you can't see it, is he laboring for your good? Especially when you can't feel it or see it, be reminded that he loves you and he's laboring for your good. Naomi is reminded that God is so good. And we need to be reminded. He gives us many undeserved reminders of his love. A gathering like this is a reminder of God's love for you. Struggling child of God, he sees you and he loves you because he's a wonderful and faithful redeemer. By his power, we are kept safe from the wrath we deserve, from the attacks of our enemy, through the trials of this life. All of them are used to conform us more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ so that even when we don't understand, we can rest in that. Naomi leaves this chapter encouraged and hopeful. And the writer once again, well, I mean, the writer didn't put these numbers in here, but we're just going to pretend he did for a second. The writer again leaves us in a place where we start to ask the unthinkable question. Is there a way that Elimelech's family line could continue? That last sentence of chapter 2, and she lived with her mother-in-law, reminds us that their circumstances are generally the same. Nothing has changed. Ruth is remaining faithful to her promise. 
Both of them remain widows, yet hope has not perished. For them or for us, even when we struggle to see it. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your extravagant love for us. Thank you that the offer of the gospel is available to all who will believe. And maybe it is that somebody here today is struggling with this knowledge that in the light of your holiness and your commands, we fall woefully short of your standards. And those who fall woefully short of your standards are worthy of only eternal punishment. And yet, in your love and mercy, you have graciously and abundantly provided for the undeserving through the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the victorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus. That whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, but will be counted as righteous, forgiven, holy through his sacrifice and given the hope of eternal glory. Pray, Father, that today would be the day of faith for the first time for some. And for those who are here who are in Christ, Father, I pray that you would renew our faith. Remind us of your abundant provision in the midst of difficult times. Remind us of your faithfulness. Remind us that if you have given us your Son, you will not fail to provide for everything we need now and into all of eternity. Remind us of that and remind us, Lord, that against all odds, you love us. See what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Praise you, Father. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.